episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 45. This week I caught up with Simon Holland. He's got a 52 Chev pickup that he's built. It's, a, it's an Aussie big truck that he's basically turned into a half-ton style pickup. So he's done a really great job of that. And, you know, if you're in the Facebook um, Chev groups, you would have seen plenty of photos of this truck. If not, um, we'll post some photos for you and, and you can hear all about this build. It's a, a really good build, I think. And uh, and I had the pleasure of actually going up to the Riverina Rumble last weekend and, and seeing the truck in the flesh. So I met up with Alan Anderson and uh, Simon and a few of the other guys up there. And there was a good turnout of pickup trucks. It was really good. I reckon it would have been 10 or 15 uh, different pickups there, which was really cool to see. And I know personally for me, it's the first time I've been to any form of a car show in about 12 months. So it was really good to get up there and check it out. And, and just in time, as it turns out, because uh, we're back in a lockdown down here in Victoria. So we're really enjoying that. Uh, went in and stayed uh, stayed the night at Coop's place, um, Adrian Cooper of Coop's Rod and Customs. So we had him on one of our very first episodes. And uh, it was really good to see the progress on the trucks that he's working on. He's got three Chev pickups at the moment that are uh, very close to completion in paint, looking really good. So great to catch up with him and, and check all that out. So have a listen to this episode. It's um, definitely definitely a lot of good info and uh, especially for the, the home builder, you know, if you're going to do stuff yourself, there's a lot of uh, good tips and tricks in this one. On a personal note, uh, my truck's been ticking along. I'm doing a lot of work on the cab. Uh, out and just mounted it up in my rotisserie and, and doing a bit of the body work. So same thing as everyone goes through it's just you know one step at a time and something simon said in his interview which i thought was really good is that he, you know he breaks his build down you know the cab was a project so he just took the cab and said right this is the current project and he's not thinking about the rest of the build and and that's something that i think is really good you know it can be overwhelming when you look at the big picture and how much stuff you've got to do so break down a little piece you know spend a bit of time on it um that's what i'm doing at the moment and making some progress so it's really good Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. I, I definitely enjoyed checking out the truck and um, and having a chat to Simon. So here we go. Simon, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, it's certainly been requested by a few people to get you on board, and I, I've been holding off until you finished your truck, which you finally have. So welcome to the show, mate. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, so uh, we actually, you know, I got to see your truck last weekend so it was great to actually finally get to a car show it's been such a long time and there's a good good range of pickups up there in Wagga and uh yeah it's good to have a, a physical look at your truck you've done a great job yeah thanks yeah no fair bit of work involved in it that was the first run actually that one so after yeah well 12 months of not being it 
had a rod run, so yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, yeah, no, it was really good. So uh, Simon, take us back a bit to your early, uh, you know, when you when you were a bit younger, and was your old man a hot rod guy, or, or did you have someone that influenced you? What sort of first made you think about you know cars as a young fella? Yeah, always loved cars. Always played cars when I was a kid. Always, always into them. Dad always had cars. Dad wasn't all really a. Dad was a tinkerer. You know, he was always adding little bits, but never, never a welder or heavy fabricator. But we always had good cars. Um, <clears throat> I remember doing one up with Dad when I was about twelve. He did a nineteen forty nine P three Rover um, down in Victoria. Yeah, really nice car. He won the concourse at the Rover Nationals. Give him a hand, send guards back, doing all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, and then he had other Rovers. After that, he had a 82. Always had nice cars, always polished and appreciated his cars. They were always in the family. Cousins had Camaro, 68. He just lived up the road. And other cousins had hot rods as well. He had a 47 Chevy pickup. But, yeah, my first car was a HJ, HJ four-door sedan, dragways, white. It was only a 202. Had it for many years and um, then went on to an XF and uh, on a range of crappy cars after that. Nothing really too special until 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 about two about no it would have been about 1998 I think it was it was before the new Monaro's come out it was about 1998 or something like that and I always wanted a HK Monaro 68 too and finally managed to find one um, and bought bought it for four thousand five hundred bucks I think at the time. Which is yeah crazy today, but lime green, center line mags, um, velour interior. They had only one eight six S, but um, yeah, just a driver, you know. Um, but look, look great on the road. Um, sold it uh, about sixteen or oh, probably seventeen years ago to move down to a farm, and then thought, well, I'll always get one back. I'd rather have one with a V8 in it. I was going to do a conversion to it and I thought, no, nah, it's probably better just to buy one with a V8 for what it was going to cost me. And they just went through the roof. So, sort of priced me out of the market a bit. Anyway, then turned Hot Rods. So, Hot Rods is where it was at. And, uh, bought a 46 Dodge, 40, 40, 42 to 46, same shape. Um, found it on a property not far from where I'm at. And um, started putting it together for a work use and uh, ended up going down the route of a flathead, um, ran the original flathead six, twin carbies, edgy performance head and cam and homemade extractors and just did a real nostalgic sort of thing with a, with a Dodge Ute. Um, kept the I-beam, drums all around, three-speed, original box, um, yeah, it was a cool thing, but I had to move it on. So needed to fund other projects, and the drought hit hard at the time, so um, it moved on. And uh, then um, 
since then I'd bought a Plymouth Coupe out of the state. That would have been about eight years ago. That was when the American dollar was a dollar five, and I was looking on the internet every night, looking at all the. I always used to look. I used to look on there every night, just like the old unique car magazines or all that. You know, I used to in the eighties just sit down and look at the unique car magazines and just look at the pictures. You know, you weren't buying anything, but it's just good to look at. The same thing with the computer. And then when the when when the prices just started, you know, that that they were sort of copping their recession, so to speak, and. And our dollar was getting so strong. God, I seen this 1933 Plymouth five window coupe, and I'd never seen one before. Um, yeah, and I actually paid two and a half grand cheaper for it. I actually got a discount, so it was unbelievable. Um, so I imported it from America, and um, it was a big rigmarole getting it here. Um, that was sort of when they were cracking down on these dodgy imports going back eight years ago. Yeah, they were checking for everything. Um, they were, we had to prove that the vehicle was built many years ago, like before 1989, because um, they went back through and checked the eBay listing and read it as just built five years ago. We had to prove that the vehicle was freshened up five years ago and not built five years ago, which it was. But in the ad description, it said built five years ago, so we were nearly going to get caught out. Luckily enough, I had some good guys on my side that were important, it, um, MW Imports, so they were good. Um, I'm in Queensland up in there. Um, he had connections over there. He told me not to stress the whole time, and I was just stressing, thinking I wasn't going to. I'd already paid for it, but, and it was in storage over there. But anyway, eventually got here after all the rigmarole and um, then went through all the loopholes again and the whole thing had to be engineered. In um, Well, he got a plate for it in Queensland. The mod plate, as it came in, all done, new beauty. Got it down New South Wales and it wasn't a problem up in Queensland. Like It just went straight through. It just There was no changes needed. Got it down here. Went to be blue slip guy and I didn't quite know at the time and he just said, no, mate, you need a New South Wales engineer certificate. I'm like, yeah, okay. Rightio. So, went through that and I just got a list as long as they are of all these things that needed done. Glass had to come out. Everything had to be Australian compliant. Brake lines had to have SAE written on them. Blinkers didn't pass. It just, it just went on and on. Seatbelts. Anyway, it wasn't bad. I got the car quite cheap. So, I was still way, way in front um, and it was still very well much worth doing it. Um, but yeah, it got on the road and drove it for many years. I still got the two. And, um, then I built a, um, sedan delivery and a 1934 Plymouth on a property driving to work. Um, this is going back probably five years ago or more driving to work and, um, spotted a bunch of old racks on a, on a property up there and, Sort of thought I'd go up to the farmer's house and knock on the door and worked out it was deserted and there was cattle basically all running rampant around the place and on the on the you know on the verandas and everything else and um, found out who the owner was and made a deal and 
ended up bringing this rusty old bucket home and was missing the door and plenty of rust and everything else. Four-door sedan, 34 Plymouth. And then the plan was to make a family a family hot rod. Um, got the two kids, so um, Luke's 13 and Olivia's 15, so but back then they were oh, probably nine and... 12 or something like that or yeah so um yeah not too handy having a coupe and a pickup truck when you've got a family so that was the plan but i never really wanted a four-door car i appreciated them but i didn't i didn't sort of really want one so um always loved my commercials always loved my coupes and my roadsters um so the plan was to make a delivery van out of it with the back seat still in it that fold down. Um, I'd never seen it done before in a 34 Plymouth. So, And the Plymouth, the 34 Plymouth sedan is a little bit, um, a bit of the ugly sister of the family. You know, it's a little bit, um, it needs cleaning up just a bit. There's a lot of potential there for it. But in a four-door sedan, um, it looked quite boxy and it just it just wasn't quite right. It needed a lot done. But, but as soon as you made it look into delivery, the boxiness and the, the height of the roof and the way it all was, it, it looked great because I always wanted to chop it. You know, I just thought it looked too high. But, I mean, Plymouth's aren't really that high, really, but, it was real bulky above the tops of the windows and it seemed to suit a sedan delivery. So that was the plan. That's, that's, that's how it went down. And a friend of mine over in Orange, Ronnie, um, he'd done one before and I'm always inspired by that. Um, and he sort of encouraged me to, to do it. You know, he reckoned it would look great. So after watching him do what he does and he sort of taught me the ropes on oxy welding, which I was going to need to do to do infills on the roof and, to do it the way I wanted to do it anyway. But so I picked up oxy welding along the way, building that car. Just the roof alone had six lineal meters of oxy welding in it. That all had to be hammer stretched and it was a big job. Um, but I didn't want to put ribs in the roof and I wanted, I wanted to be right. Um, built the drill myself. That come from Bunnings. I did 36 lineal meters of, um, of three mil by twelve mil aluminium, flat aluminium, and all the bars up, megged it all up. I just couldn't get a grill. I put I put the the word out there, but they're, they're pretty hard to find, and there's not a lot of repo with Plymouth stuff, not like Fords or Chevys. So, and I thought, well, if I've got to build a grill, I'll make a gangster and I'll make it my own. I, I, I don't want to, you know, you might as well make it different. So, and it turned out good. Um, rear guards were widened. I did a one-piece hood, um, made all the back um, tailgate up with gas struts. I didn't just cut and shut the doors. Everything was skinned. I sort of like took the skins off and, and butt-welded them properly and made panels and everything else. Um, it was it's, it was a lot of custom work done to it, more than what... It looked sort of like it could have been a factory delivery, and I didn't want to take it to a point where it looked like a custom. I just wanted it to sort of add an inch here, add an inch there, just enough where you probably didn't know I really did anything to it unless you really were a, a Plymouth guru. But 
enough to clean it up. So, um, and it's made, it's turned out the way I wanted to. So, and would you say that that build sort of really sharpened up all your skills that you would have learned a lot on that one? Oh, definitely. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, I, I have no problems with buying a piece of crap and going, oh, geez, there's a lot of work involved in that. But I'd hate to go spend five, six or whatever, you know, 10 grand on a project than have a practice on it. You know, like, I'm more worried about stuffing up the 10 grand. But when you, you've got nothing to lose when you're just buying real rough stuff. You've got nothing to lose. You know, like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I, I, the delivery cost me $400 I bought that car for. Um, and it was rough, you know, that full of timber, you know, all needed fully steeling out, all the doors needed skinning, like they had no floors in it, and it was all smashed in the back, and most people probably would have just, you know, just used it for parts or, or um, you know, crushed it or whatever. You know, it was really sort of that bad, but, yeah, it was worthwhile having a go at it. Um, but, yeah, I did pick up a lot of... Certainly oxy welding, I picked up a lot. A lot of my skills I did pick up off that off that project. Yeah, I picked up a fair bit, especially oxy welding, because yeah, it needed a lot of it to get it right. But it's uh, um, trying the front end, uh, step the front frame rails up six inches so it should sit down low, because they got an IFS front end, so all that had to be removed. Um, and I wanted standard height springs trying the front end. I didn't want to chop springs and it hasn't even got lowered stub axles in it, that thing. It's got stock standard trying the front end and it sits really nice and low to the ground and the geometry is all standard so it, it does travel good. It's got a Centura rear end. It runs a 357 turbo 350 box and um, air conditioning, electric windows, central locking, a few mod cons. It's got the family in there so I sort of wanted to keep everyone happy sort of thing. Um, didn't want anyone whinging. So we sort of kept it a bit family orientated. But that still that commercial old school, you didn't didn't really doesn't really look like a family man's car at all, sort of thing. Um, you know, there's no back windows for the kids, but half the time they're on their bloody iPads anyway, so what does it matter? So half the time half the time it's a battle to get them to look out the window. So you had sold the uh, the forty two Dodge pickup. And so now you've got yep. you got a coupe and a sedan delivery, and the Chev was that basically you just just had a bit of an inkling to get another pickup. Yeah, well, the thing is, I always loved pickups, and right, my first hot rod was the Dodge Ute, and although it was sort of a pickup, it, it was still Ute, so. I always loved the stepside American tub with separate cab. I always loved that that Yankee look. Um, so that's sort of what I've always wanted. And I went down the route with the Dodge. It was such a good old Ute that it, the flathead ran. That's sort of what sort of inspired me to keep it because because I got the flathead motor running, and I had a couple of people say, oh, "You should leave it, you know, and just throw another motor in later." and so I went down the route with the Dodge of sort of keeping it sort of very original, and, and it was good. But as a drive, like if you want to drive to Queensland or Melbourne, you've got to be more of a diehard, I think. I just I just wanted something with more power, pull a car trailer, 
40 degree heat, turn the aircon on, power steer, all those sorts of things. The, the Dodgers cool for what it was when you took it to a car show, put the bonnet up, and it was great. You know, it had all that nostalgic about it. And if you want to live the dream of, of nostalgia, it was perfect. But I'd sort of done the flathead thing, and I just wanted something that was more of a slave to me, more of a workhorse, that I could just, you know, a reason to sort of say, well, why do I drive my every... Why do I drive my um, everyday driver car? You know, I seem to drive that and then just leave the nostalgic stuff for the weekend. So the Chevy was built as a replacement for the Dodge, so to speak. Um, that sort of did more than what it would ever do. Yeah, sort of thing. And that, that American that American sort of pick-up, step-side look. And look, I've acquired another Dodge. I still got it in me. I still love those Dodges. Um, but now I've got an American Dodge. It's a big truck. Um, it will get the same treatment as the Chevy. Um, it will get me a step-side tub. I'll shorten the chassis down and all those sorts of things. Jag front end. Um, there's a mate of mine who's got one over in Parks. Um, always loved his truck. And uh, he's got an LS in his. Um, yeah, I know, LS in a Dodge, but... Um, yeah, budget seems to sort of sway me a bit in my in my decisions and what I do, you know, because um, I'm never a one car man. I, I just got so many builds that I that I got in my head that I want to do. And if I if I start spending big, I'm not going to be able to afford to do the next one and the next one. I just don't have that budget. So I've got to try get the style right, get the look right, and 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 try and compromise in, in some areas for some things to you know, to get it over the line without costing me a fortune because, yeah, I'm going to be paying for the next 10, 15 years trying to pay it off and I can't afford to build another car, you know. So sort of does influence me, yeah. Yeah, very good. So tell us the story. How did you find How did you find this Chevy? It's So it's originally, it's an Aussie right-hand drive, one of the big trucks, right? Yeah, it is. Um, I found it down at Canandra on a property I'm friends with their son, like, yeah, um, sort of known him before. I've done tiling for him. I do wall and floor tiling. So I've tiled their bathroom for, for them, and I knew the family. So the truck was down there, and um, he never wanted to sell it for years, you know, and I'd understand if it was looked after, but, geez, floors are all rotted out dents all over it, sitting out in the outside in a big pile of grain bags and everything loaded on the tray. Tray was half rotted out. and Anyway, eventually he, he gave in and I bought it off him. Um, dragged it home and um, his father had it um, before him. Um, Norman was his father. And... Um, yeah, they bought it brand new in 1952, and um, Doug, who owned the truck, he uh, he was about eight years of age um, when his father bought it, and had been on the farm its whole life. You know, they built the family home with it. They, you know, the bricks and everything else was carted with it, and um, he had a bit of sentimental value to it. I think that's why he didn't want to let it go originally, but. In the end, he knew he wasn't going to do anything with it. He knew he didn't have the skills and he wasn't going to sort of spend the kind of money that was required to do it. So he let it go to me. And I think he was sort of happy that it sort of stayed locally and that I did something with it and he knew I'd do something with it. Um, so, yeah, that's where it came from. And it was a big truck. 
Yeah, uh, had a GVM of seven ton. Big dual wheel thing. The plan was to keep it on the original chassis and um, and chop it down and turn it into a little pickup. Something practical to just run around in and do everything I wanted to do. So that was the plan. It took about three years to build and uh, put a Jag front end in it, Series 3. It's got a 95 Falcon rear end with Watts Link. Let's go back for a sec to the Jag front end. So it sounds like you've put that into a few of your builds. What, you know, for guys listening who maybe they're contemplating doing a build and it's pretty easy for guys to get on the internet right now and, you know, you can you can find a high-end independent front suspension custom built, you know, $10,000. It's got every bell and whistle on it. But for the budget builder, you know, the, the Jag's the go-to. What, what do you love about those Jag front ends? Well... For one, they've got a power steering, you've got a power rack on it already attached. That's a good thing. They're the right width for most of these trucks. They, they, they can handle a little bit of a load. You know, they're not like a little Toronto front end or something. Like um, when you're talking a Chevy with a sort of a big truck chassis, I mean, mine weighs 1,700 kilos with the big truck chassis, which still really isn't that bad. But, um, you know, if you start going, and, 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 you know, if you want to look at front ends, um, you've got Chirana, HK, you got HTGs, all these sorts of front ends you can put in as a, you know, alternative that's been done for years, but um, as a donor front end, but they're all sort of in the 70s. They are good, but they don't come with racks. Chirana does. It has a rack, but you, but you don't have power steering. So with your Jag, you get all that. Jag's got... Um, four piston calipers in it, so it's got bigger brakes than what the Holdens run. You've got ventilated discs. The early trainers didn't have ventilated discs. Um, but the other thing is, you know, you're talking, I think Series, mine Series 3, and I'm pretty sure they ran up to around somewhere around about 1986, somewhere within the mid-80s. Mid so it's sort of a pretty late model front end compared to what you're getting out of all your Holden stuff for that reason. And they, they're good. The, the upper and lower um, control arms on them, you know, the way they're laid back compared to the holding front ends and your geometry on them, they're, they're more like a lot of the newer front ends that you see today, the way the top, top arm is laid right back. Um, they drive good, you know. Yeah, and they just unbolt and go straight in. So, Well, not straight in, but you've got you to, you know, obviously fit them fit them to the vehicle but yeah just mainly the advancement on on you know the years it's got up on the on the hold and stuff i suppose you know and i've heard that i've never i never used the jag front end until i did it in the chevy but i had driven them um good mate of mine alan anderson he's got one in his 64 f truck and and that thing just drives like a new car i was so impressed so that's why i went that way yeah yeah and, and alan alan's truck's left hand drive and and that's something too for our listeners if you haven't listened to Alan's episode. But yeah, he's got an Aussie Jag IFS and then he just put a left hand drive uh, power steering rack on it. That's right. Yeah, well, they're, they're, the, they're the same, like the bolt up. Um, they made the cross members all the same, so they just bolt up. So left hand rack um, goes straight on them. And um, yeah. They're pretty versatile. Um, and, you know, I, I think for weight-wise, like if you're going to run a little bit of weight, I think I think the Jag front end is, you know, I mean, Jags were heavier than, than a HK Holden or a Truana or all those sorts of things. It was it was designed to take a bit more weight, you know. Um, they had their V12s and stuff, and they were quite a heavy engine. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And then rear end, you've you've got a parallel four link on coilovers. I have. I had a, a uh, was it EF ninety five EF Falcon, and it was just sitting here waiting for our chairs. And I just measured everything up and just thought, oh well, I, I'm one for. I'll just use what I got if I've got it. You know, it's just a patina truck, so um, measured it all up and. It looked like it was going to go in really good. The wheelbase was right, um, and I just take everything that I can. Um, and if I can make it work, I will. So it's got a watts link, four link, and I adapted coilovers to it. I actually didn't weld anything to the diff. The diff itself is actually I made adapters to take the coilovers off the original four link mounts. Made the sway bar work and everything, and it worked out really good with the Chevy um, chassis. The Chevy chassis is quite narrow in those 52s. And all the four links sat outboard of that, and yes, it come come together quite well. And and what's under the hood, mate? What have we? We obviously don't have a two one six or a two three five in it anymore. No, it's long gone. It went to someone else's project, so it got it got reused, which is good. But it's running an LS one. I bought a complete statement. I'd never put an LS in in a vehicle before, so. Not knowing what I need and what I don't need, um, I decided to buy a whole car, which was advice from other people, just buy a car. So bought a complete statesman, drove it for three months while it was on, while it was registered, and uh, yeah, stripped it down and learned a lot along the way. It's got the 4L60E box. I used the uh, pedal box, the brake booster, master cylinder, throttle cable, and the LS, I was adamant on leaving everything the way it was. I didn't want to change to a high-mount AC or any of those things. I wanted to be FBA on a country road, and if something happens, I can get a standard serpentine belt, and it'll just go on, or, you know, things like that. I didn't, I didn't want tricky sort of unusual belts because I've changed the configuration and everything, you know. So we cut out the inner guards and added little access panels and, um, you know, I put the inner guard piece back in, but just as an access panel and sort of on the AC side, it wasn't going to fit. So that access panel got boxed out to allow for the for the low mount AC. And it worked out perfect because after test driving the car for, um, after it was registered, I drove for about a week or, or so and I noticed that the alternator was playing up. So what would have been an absolute, headache to get to pulling the whole front end off the truck we just took the front wheel off undone the access panel and the alternator was out within about five minutes swapped over um it was great so all those little things we did paid off same with the ac any of that changing belts everything just become easy but i suppose not being a show truck and just the patina we sort of the idea was to just make it user friendly and serviceable you know you can get to everything so yeah but um Tail shaft out of a Chrysler 360. It just went straight in. 727 torque flight car. Had that just laying out an old Chrysler years ago. And I started off with a two-piece tail shaft. Never put one in a vehicle before. I thought it would work better because the plane was the airbag. I stepped the chassis rails right up. And, yeah, it may get airbagged in the future, but not at this stage. But, yeah, I've got a few problems happened when I first got it going with the two-piece tail shaft. I had a vibration issue that I just couldn't seem to sort out and 
changed a few things in the end. I just went to one piece, and I just couldn't believe that the, the tail shaft out of the Tyson 360 was exactly the same length as the two-piece two holding tail shaft went straight in, and the holding unis went into it and everything. So that was just a fluke, and it just worked. So. And how did you set your wheelbase? Did you did you kind of set your wheelbase off that tail shaft length, or did you set it off what a US half-ton pickup truck is? How would you do that? Yeah, well... Your half-ton pickup's got your short front, so I couldn't really exactly go off that because I know, I know the front of the big truck is about four inches longer. Um, but that's overall, so the wheelbase itself isn't going to be the whole four inches. So it was one of those things where I, I knew what the, I think the American half-ton pickup's about 116 inch. Um, I knew that was about it, but I was governed off the tub, and so when, when I bought the tub. I bought it from Sydney Muscle Car Parts over there, and um, yeah, I bought it with uh, repo pickup guards and everything as a complete unit. And because I already had the holes drilled for the guards, I already knew it was all you know basically together as a unit. I just had to sit that tub behind my cab, and um, I knew where those where the back back axle had to be. Um, but I did bring my tub up as close as I could to the cab. I didn't want a gap there, you know. I'm not far off. I'm about, I think I'm about 117. I was only about an inch off. But, yeah, I just sort of look at it with the wheels too, you know. So I I didn't want to sort of, I didn't want to have it sort of too long, too short. It's sort of hard to, you got to sort of, I just keep standing back looking at it and just keep working it out. But it's about about 117 inch wheelbase. Yeah, but the good thing is because it's on the, um, original chassis that 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 was a given you know everything was bolted down to the to the mounts in its original position you know the jag front end was a given i just had to sort of work out where i wanted that front wheel to sit within the front guards you know it, it had to look right you know i didn't i didn't care what the inches were as long as it looked right and you know you sort of mocked it up got it right and then sat the tub on you know the once you sit that back tub on with those rear uh fenders bolted already up to the tub it, it basically tells you where that axle's nearly got to be just by looking at it so yeah 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 exactly yeah and, and that's something you know that i think we can have a bit of a chat about the you know the most of the time you get on facebook or you know gum tree here in australia and, and you buy a chev truck that's here in australia 95 percent of those trucks are going to have that big that big front end which means that the the front guards have got a bigger wheel opening in them, and like you say, they're about a hundred mil longer. and And the traditional thing that most people will do, they they kind of just discard that, and then they'll buy a US one of the smaller half ton front ends, and they'll put that on and run with it. But there's there's a lot of really good looking trucks getting around with the original big truck front end on it, and and I know you did a lot of planning to make that look and work properly for a small pickup. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the thing thing was to make it look like a small pickup and it's hard because you're trying to take that big truck look at it as much as possible and it's hard to know what to do because if you start going in the pickup direction and you go well i'll lift the running boards up and you know make it more like the pickup one because the because the truck had a lower drop and a lower a, a bigger balance panel you know because of the big trucks to try get in you know they, they were down lower so you know, you, you, you sort of start thinking, well, I'll trim a bit off the bottom of the guards and make them look more like a pickup, and then I'll lift the I'll lift the running boards up, make it look more like a pickup. But you end up making the whole thing look longer, you know? 
you, you, you think you're going towards the direction of the pickup, but you're not. So in the end, the idea was to not sort of follow the pickup, but to just make a real fat-looking truck, you know, in a pickup style, but keep the running boards lower, keep the front bumper bar as low as possible, don't trim the bottom of the guards off, keep that, keep that depth in the truck. And um, But the hardest part was with the wheels, there was a lot of going on with tyre sizes, and I went through three different sets of different tyres, which the car trailer's got plenty of sets of tyres ready to go on it now, so they're just sitting there, so... But in the front, I went through three different types of tyre sizes, and, and you don't know. You sort of you look on the internet and you look on the thing, and it's hard to tell until you see it on your truck in your face and working it out. But in the end, I went the biggest tyre I could possibly could to fill that front guard up, um, which was a 235.75 on a 15-inch rim. And I was going to go big diameter rims, but I just went with the whole fat look all over, you know, the, the fat tyre with the big fat front and just went the whole lot to make it look as fat as I could, um, which seems to work, seems to fill it in. But then the issue you get is the rear because you've got this big truck guard up the front, but then you're still working with a little pickup guard. And then when you go such a big tyre in the front, like a 235, I've always worked with hot rods where your rear tyres, your rear wheels are bigger, fatter than what your fronts are. And I like that look. So originally I went a 235.75 all round. And I got the truck out of the out of the shed, and uh, it just the back tires just looked too small. Just looked too skimpy. I had to go back to the drawing board and work out what I was going to put in the back, um, and end up going a two six five seventy on a fifteen. And it's a it's a big girl. It's a big tire. I had to modify the rear guards. I had to sort of stretch them by an inch and a half, like section them and and, and increase their height. I didn't want to go too far. Like, I could have gone further with them, but I tried to sort of make it look like it was, like I hadn't been there. Like it, you know, and, it, and it does look like that. People don't realise I've modified them. But I had to to get that tyre in there. And even even now, to get that wheel off, I've got to deflate the tyre. It will not come off in and out. So, And the EF diff hasn't been narrowed or anything. So um, there's no inner wheel tubs in the tray. Um, I wanted that standard look. Sort of thing. I didn't want it sort of tubbed, um, and it worked. You know that when I got it on there and I pulled it out of the shed, you just know straight away where you're heading in the right direction. You know, um, so and I couldn't. You couldn't go any bigger than it. It seems to be about right. So yeah, that's that's sort of where I headed with that. And then I, I knocked off the truck bumper bar of the front. I put the pickup one on. Kept sort of trying to because the, the truck bumper bar was even longer again. I was just keep trying to pull the nose in, bring it even further in. Even the cabs, I put a sun visor on it because that seems to extend the length of the roof. It almost brings the roof over the top of the bonnet a little bit, in a sense. So it makes the length of the cab sort of... Everything you do seems to sort of shorten the front up a little, you know. It pull that in just a bit. Um, and then the back, you know, those sheds are renowned for sort of looking a little bit sort of uh, skimpy in the, in the back tub compared to the front of the cab, even in the pickup. So... Then I had to try and sort of fatten up the rear, so I added an extra, added an extra inch to the height of the of the tub. And it doesn't seem like much. You think if you're going to do it, why not add a couple? But an inch still made a big difference to it. It, it really made um, it look deeper. And that's where I was heading, just make the truck look deeper and deeper by sort of making it look shorter that way. And then added a pickup rear bumper bar 
Um, that sort of added a little bit more fatness to the, the rear of it. Kept that bumper bar as low as I could. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it certainly has that look about it. You know, I think you have to look twice to realise, firstly, that it is a big truck front and then, you know, things like the small details on the rear guard and things like that, you really don't notice them and, and you wouldn't notice them until you had it parked next to a, a regular half ton, I think. And then, you know, if you were looking at the two of them, you go, gee, that that's actually different. But to the naked eye, it's uh, it's it's quite smooth. It is, yeah. When you see the truck on its own, you wouldn't know. But, I, you know, after just coming back from the River and Rumble, there was a few down there and they all had the pickup front. So I think, I think mine was, oh, no, there was another one for truck front. Um but there was two of them down there that had the pickup front and the, and the little pickup guards, and they and they had the the smaller wheels and everything else. And I I just didn't realise how fat it was until I got it down there against the others. I went, oh my god, like that's you don't realise because you just keep staring at the same vehicle for. And I, I you know being COVID, I sort of really haven't been going to any car shows or anything like that. So it was sort of hard to sort of realise. Well, and you know, I just sort of didn't realise until you got around others and realised. Yeah, I was I was happy with it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it looks good. I'm I'm happy with the directions. Like for a big truck, it 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 turned out how I wanted to. And you know, with with the roads that we're on, like I I towed a caravan down there behind it, sitting on you know your, your hundred k's just cruising, and, and and the roads out on these out in the west out here, they're just terrible. You know, you just get some bad stuff, and it just it just glides through. It. You know, those big tyres, the jag suspension, all that helps, you know. If I was running 22 or 20s or something on it, I could just imagine how much all that would be going through the through the vehicle, you know. It, I, I just reckon all that bit of rubber's got to help a bit, sort of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, a few other things that I, you know, what, what I love about your build, Simon, is that it's you haven't just gone in and bought a brand new radiator off, you know, whoever summit racing or, or, you know, you know, you, the radiator in your trucks out of a 75 series land cruiser, you've just found something, you know, whether you had it at hand, but it, it's, it's here in Australia, it's easy to get, it, it fits the space, it holds the right amount and it does the job. And there, there's so many of those small details on this truck that I love. Yeah. Yeah. That, that radiator was the best thing I put in it. I, I, I've never had such a good radiator. I, I've always had a, with the delivery, I had a few heating issues with it. I still do today. I've got to run a big thermo fan in that one. And it keeps it cool now. It's fine. But it, it sounds like an, an airplane landing when the bloody thermo kicks in. It's an aluminium radiator. Um, I took a shot off one of these eBay items. I've had blokes that have had total success with these eBay um, aluminium radiators, but for some reason that one, it's a chev. It's a chopped one though, so it's not the full height 32. And look, I got recommendation off a mate of mine that's used those 75 Land Cruiser, 75 series Land Cruiser radiators, and he's swore by them. So we measured it up, and I, I looked at it, looked at the inlets and outlets, and it was just going to look like it was going to work perfect. And it's as much radiator as you get in. I, I had to actually trim the um, radiator support frame. I had to take about, oh, I think about oh, five or seven mil or something like that off either side for it to fit between the frame. And then I added an extra bit of frame to it just to make it a little bit better, uh, a little bit of right angle and whatnot. But it's as much radiator as you're going to fit in. It's a four-core. 
And it suits the big truck. It doesn't. It, it just it just sits nice and level and flat with the um, with the um, the front apron. Um, it doesn't sit up high and look ugly. And I've got a I've got a cover over that, like a shroud covering everything. And it, it's just hidden. You wouldn't even know the radio was in there. It's just it turned out brilliant. And um, I run one of those cheap eBay sixteen inch thermo fans, sixty nine dollar job or whatever it is. And that truck never overheats. I can just you know, hot weather standing there for you know half an hour. It'll just it'll never overheat. It's it, it's great. Yeah, I'd go I'd go one again. So, but look, with the big truck too, you you sort of got that advantage of that room. Like you got that extra four inches, so it's not going to always work with everyone. So, yeah, that's what I sort of found. You sort of you know when you when you work in the big truck front, you you, you got a little bit more real estate. So. It's an advantage in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I can vouch for the seventy five series radiator because my my Land Cruiser is a seventy five series and I just had to get mine fixed. It it finally cracked after six hundred and ten thousand Ks. So it's done all right. Wow, yeah. that's good going. Yeah. If I get that, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. If your LS goes that far, I'll be impressed. I don't think so. No. no. I, well, it had two hundred ninety thousand k's on the um, on the Statesman, um, but it was only a cheap Statesman. So, but I thought I'd get it all in. If I get a, if I, if I get a good three four years out of it before I got to do a rebuild or so be it. But yeah, mm. so I think the radiator is going to outlive the uh, radio. I think the uh, radiator is going to outlive the uh, LS. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the other thing you did, which I think is quite good, and and I've done something similar on my build, is you've you've got the the Hilux um, rubber cab cab mounts because you know these trucks originally it's just the cab just mounts directly hard against the chassis, metal to metal, you know, with a couple of bolts, and it's there's just no forgiveness, and and I think that you know you'll you'll notice. You probably won't notice because you probably didn't drive it beforehand, but the the rubber mounts are going to make a big difference. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had driven a few old trucks, um, you know, unrestored, good ones that I've brought home that are, you know, that have ran and stopped, and yeah, that can ride pretty hard. So um, yeah, I thought, well, why not? I'm sort of down there, I'm doing it, and um, they 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 literally do not seem to have really much absorption from the factory at whatsoever and i think that's probably some of the difference when you look at these cab chassis um you know these latest sort of utes and stuff they've got good rubber bush proper you know mount everywhere on the cab and everywhere and i thought well i had a heap of them left over from an old hilux from years ago that i had here had a bucket full of them i thought well i'll just use them so um wasn't a matter of just flipping them under the cab because they are they are quite thick. They're like a hamburger, you know, like you've got an upper, a lower, and a sleeve that runs through that. And the Chev cab just basically had a thin wafer of little rubber through it, you know, in the in the front mount. Um, the back was like a shackle set up, but the front one, yeah, there's sort of nothing to it. So I had to I had to cut down and modify and put the I actually kept the brackets that came off the Hilux chassis, so I had the whole mount bracket and everything. So I sort of integrated that in, so I had the I had the depth to get them in there. I thought any sort of bit of improvement I could make on ride, I, I would. And and so the Jag front end wasn't wasn't rubber mounted like it was from the factory. It, it's been welded in, but I did the, I did want to get the truck as low as I I possibly could, so I did weld it in by taking the 
the chassis rails deep down into the cross member. So, yeah, sort of looking for a bit of absorption as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, no, it works great. And and so reading through some of your posts on, on Facebook, I, it, it seems to me, and correct me if I've got this wrong, but you, you basically spent three years building the truck with no consultation with your engineer, just did everything you thought was about right, and then and then you just took it in when it was done. Yeah, that's about right. I, I did I did tell him what I was doing, what I was going to build, and what and what I'm starting. And I got a little bit of advice for him. That was like three years ago before I started. I, I when I took my uh, Plymouth delivery there, you know, I said. I got a bit of advice off him as to what he reckoned HQ chassis or original, what would you do, blah, blah, blah. And his suggestion was stay on the original chassis. I told him I had a big truck chassis. I said, am I allowed to step the frame rails up? He said, as long as you don't compromise the depth of that chassis. And he explained to me, you know, it's got to have, you know, plates like this and blah, blah, blah. And he explained to me what he, he wanted to see. Because the chassis step up was my main concern. Everything else was, you know, I minor you know but you get that chassis wrong and and it's a big drama if he won't pass it so i did discuss that with him but it was only talk whether he never knew that i actually pursued forward and actually built the chevy until i basically give him a call three years later to say it's done but i'm always following the guidelines you know there's a lot of lit there's a lot of stuff on the net obviously where you know you can learn what the latest has come out and Every engineer's got their own little quirks too, but I have had two cars done to him previously. So I did sort of know what was expected by him from the other vehicles. But this one did have the LS and, you know, you've got pollution control and all different things like that, um, Cadillac converters. You know, I knew all that had to sort of go in there. So, yeah, you know, and it always helps if you sort of go to an engineer that's done a couple of your cars before, you know, they sort of... They sort of, you know, I suppose you build up a bit of a rapport with them, you know, that, you know, you sort of, it's not your first radio sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, got confi- they got confidence in your work. Oh, for sure, you know, you, you know, I could imagine if someone brought a car to me and you just see something really dodgy that you can see plain as day, you know, it, it's just going to throw the alarm bells off. You've got to start going over with a fine coof comb if you're going to start leaving stuff like that. What else is going to look dodgy? So... I suppose you sort of got to be, even though it's a patina truck, it's, it's basically, you know, a brand new truck underneath. Everything's brand new. It's only missing its paint, you know. Um, and I like to do it that way. And um, it's sort of quite surprising, really, you know, when you lift the hood or look underneath, you know, it, it, it sort of shocks people how good it is, you know, like as far as, the, you know, done well and not just slapped together, you know. Because um, most things, I suppose, they see, and I wouldn't call it a rat rod, um, Far from that, just more of a patina truck. But most people sort of see an old patina truck and think that sort of follows all underneath as well, and they get quite a surprise when the bonnet comes up. So, yeah, yeah. which is how I like them. Yeah, no, no, it's come up, it's come up beautifully, and 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 you posted a video which I thought was fantastic. So you you went back to the farm, back to Doug Nash, who you bought the truck off with the, with the finished truck. Tell us a little bit about that journey because I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I bought it off Doug Nash, and I told him I'd bring it back. I went down there. Um, I had to get the um, proof of purchase sorted out. Like I bought the truck off him, but nothing had exchanged as far as proof of purchase. So I had to go down there and 
but he's a good old bloke. Like he just wrote all out. And we had a bit of talk, and I said, as soon as I get it registered, I'll, I'll I'll bring it back, and you know, and we'll get some photos. So um, yeah, that's what I did. Uh, about a week later, went down there and seen him, and he couldn't believe it. You know, like he'd seen that truck his whole life, been on the farm, but he was he was quite surprised. You know, it, it really had a transformation from what it was. It was but the thing is, it was like almost hardly recognisable as being the same truck, but it still had the original patina and it still had the MW Nash written on the door, you know, so all that was still there. And we went for a drive up the road and, and uh, yeah, he couldn't stop talking and smiling. And then I give him the keys and said, well, you might as well drive back. And you sure, you sure? Yeah, yeah. So he jumped in and... and um, the old bugger bloody laid the foot into us. <laughs> Got up the old out west and had a scream. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Doug, slow up a bit here, buddy. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, and um, he was itching for a car to catch up to us, he reckons, so we could sort of have a bit of a play. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, uh, it was good. And then we got back to his place and we got a few photos and we parked the truck where... I found the truck in the exact location. There's an old silo bin beside it and a bit of rubbish and, and all that still sitting there. So, yeah, we decided we'll put the truck there and get another photo of it in the exact same spot. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and his wife got a heap of photos on the iPad to show the family. And, yeah, it was really good. It was really worthwhile doing, and he was really happy that something been done with it. So, yeah. So, yeah, that that made it all worth it. Yeah. No, it's fantastic, mate. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's a credit to all your hard work, and you know, obviously, it's not your first rodeo. You've built a few cars before, but but uh, yeah, just impressive, I suppose, to to see it as you know. And I don't mean this by any disrespect, but you know, I'd, I'd call it a budget build because you haven't gone out and bought every part or just ordered a bracket. You, you've gone out and fabricated a lot of stuff, or you've you've repurposed something from another vehicle that fits fits the mold. And and I. I think for people listening to the podcast, you know, if you're out to do a build and, you know, this is something that, you know, have a, have a good look at the photos of this truck and, and, you know, follow along a bit what's going on because you can, you can spend 60 grand just on parts. If you want every mod con to put one of these trucks together, you know, and I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you want to um, let us know what the truck costs you to build, but I, I can guarantee it wasn't 60 grand. And, and I think that that's, that's just a credit to, you know, just a bit of hot rod ingenuity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I bought the piece, biggest piece of crap, basically, Chev, you'd find. It was dented, rusted out. Or the bottom of the A-pillars are all rusted out right up to the first hinge. But it would have been better off if I found another truck. But I bought the truck for $200. I sold the engine at it for $400. So it was 200 bucks in front before it even started. But most people would have taken it to the tip. But... For me, it was good practice to start with. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't going to go wrong. I was, wasn't going to bugger anything that cost me nothing. So um, I just got into it and just played with the steel and enjoyed what I was doing playing with steel more than anything and seeing seen how I could go ch- trying to straighten or fix something and how I could recreate something and enjoyed that part of it and, and just concentrated on one thing at a time. Just looked at the cab as a project, not building the truck, but that cab was the project and how good I can get that truck from what it was. And then take photos and... And, and just sort of, you know, the before and afters are the, are the amazing part of building it, you know. Um, but, yeah, I started with a pretty bad truck and sort of used a lot of um, donor car stuff. You know, I found um, a lot of this 
stuff that comes off vehicles has been trialled and proven for the last 20, 30, whatever years. Um, you know, and, and had, you know, thousands of dollars of engineers engineering this stuff in, in factories to make them work, you know, and be geometry right and everything else. So a lot of that OEM stuff is, 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 is good quality stuff. Um, it doesn't look the prettiest, you know. It doesn't have all the stainless steel and pigs and everything else. But if you're after a driver, that's perfectly fine, you know. But if you're going showy, yeah, you probably want more of the aftermarket stuff. But not to say that the OEM stuff doesn't come up good, but on a budget, it's a lot cheaper sort of going that way. And um, especially if you're buying whole, like I've got that whole vehicle that, that uh, yeah, I can pull a lot of gear out of it, but I've got the room here to, to throw a car, but... Yeah, no, it, it was a good way to go, and I'll, I'll try to save a buck where I can, um, within reason. If I see something that's quite cheap, and I know it's going to take me all day to make it, I can't see the point in doing that. So I'm not sort of silly. I, you know, I'm not that stubborn, but some things I just that are worth big money, I sort of would probably just go the cheap alternative if I can, you know. So And it's paid off, you know. It's sort of trialled and proven parts too, like the Jag front end and LS. And the LS swap's been done a million times over. But and there's that much, there's that much stuff out there for anyone to do it, you know. And if you can't find it, there's there's a hundred people ready to sort of ring in and tell you how to do it. So yeah, I wasn't pioneering, pioneering anything with the LS, so um, all the Jag front end. But no, it's turned out good. You know, it's, I'm glad I went that way. So yeah, um, but yeah. About twenty, about twenty grand, I think I finished up around twenty grand for that build, which is about where I wanted to finish. Um, you know, there's a lot of hours in it. You counted your hours, it'd be ridiculous. But in saying that, you know, a lot of it was done overnight, and you'd probably only be watching TV anyway. So, and, and you're enjoying it. So, I don't like to sort of count it as work. You know, no, it's it's great. So. Mate, if people want to have a bit of a look, we'll we'll put some photos up in the post and um and on the website as well. But do you do you have a, a page or an Instagram or something where people could follow the build? Yeah, I've got a page on Facebook called Fifty Two Chevy Pickup Build. You can backtrack through that. It's all basically from the beginning to the end, you know, from photos of when I originally found the truck chassis body all the way through the whole lot i sort of really didn't miss anything from installing acs and electric windows and there's central locking yeah there's there's lots all all the way through yeah and you can go through and check all that out but right to the end where i've got doug nash on there driving it and um and a couple of photos down at the um canandra produce mill there where the truck would have gone down there and used to load up with, with grain back in the day, so I've got sort of photos of it down there, and yeah, there's a bit of a story to it all the way through, yeah. Fantastic. All right, mate, well, thanks again for, um, firstly, thanks again for uh, having me up there over over the weekend and, and checking it out, and, and thanks for having a chat to us on the podcast today. Yeah, no, no worries, Michael. It was good and good to catch up. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, 
If you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket. You'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.